The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. This is our f***ing city. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Boston Podcast, brought to you by the Boston Podcast Network at pod617.com. By the way, for those of you wondering, that music that you hear at the intro is uh, not the Rolling Stones, and it's not the Jay Gallows Band or some famous rock band. It's my brother Adam's rock band. Now, isn't that cool? I mean, I am such a proud uh, brother to have a brother who's a rocker and someone who won't sue me for copyright infringement when I use it for my podcast. At least that's what I hope. But perhaps that's a story for another day. At any rate, I have an awesome, awesome guest today. Um, One of my dear friends who I've known for years and years and years. Ms. Kim Winter, Attorney Kim Winter. Um, And when you hear her whole story, you will be convinced that she is the most interesting person in the world. Forget about that guy on the Dos Equis commercial. Anyway, um, Kim Winter, welcome to the show. Thanks. That's it. Thanks. She's humble. What do you think about these palatial Pod 617 uh, studios here? Uh, it's awesome. Uh, awesome. Okay. You know, I love especially the Patriots helmet over there. We do have an illuminated Patriots helmet that is just sort of a good luck charm. I guess I can take it down now. Maybe we need a Red Sox one. I don't know. Now you now you, you you come from a sports family. I know that, Kim. We'll get we'll get to your legal career, which is very interesting as well. But since you brought up sports, are are you? Well, we'll start with this. You've are you a local sports fan? Or the, do, do you do you follow the teams or kind of sorta? Or oh no no, I I absolutely follow the teams, except kind of for the Bruins because I don't know as much about hockey. But the I'm rest with, of I'm with you. Follow. This is a no hockey zone here. My apologies, hockey fans. Like I'm, well, I'm fair weather. Every once in a while, I'll follow the Bruins if they get to the playoffs or anything. But frankly, I'd rather watch the uh, Disney movie Miracle about the 1980 hockey team. I'll just watch that over and over again. I'd rather just. <laughs> but so, what? Did, tell, uh, tell me your reaction to uh, the season. You still basking in the glow, or has uh, Mr. Kraft's troubles uh, soured it for you? Oh no! I mean, <laughs> you know what? I I never paid much of attention to him. I mean, right. he's. He's an owner, um, but he's he's not a player. And who right. I care about are the players. And I'm actually sitting right beside uh, Tom Brady's bobblehead. Also, yeah, of course, yeah. We've got um, two two very important figures here in the studios have earned the bobblehead status. One is Tom Brady, who is um, of course our spiritual leader and the greatest man alive. We all know that here on Boston Podcast Network. The other one's. Uh, Will Ferrell is Ron Burgundy, and Ron Burgundy is the patron saint of podcasting in many ways. And in fact, Ron Burgundy has a podcast now, and I get nothing from this recommendation, but you should check it out on Apple Podcasts. It's a featured podcast, the Ron Burgundy Podcast. So it is Will Ferrell in character as Ron Burgundy, clueless as ever, and it's actually very entertaining. It's not bad. Um, so, but just to finish the thought on the, on the, the sports family, and I didn't mean to lead with this, Kim, but you're, but we've talked about this in the past. You, you, you grew up in, um, your, I want to get this right. Your father-in-law was, uh, Tex winner. Correct. Right. The architect of the triangle offense, Chicago right. Bulls, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. 
right? Um, and what, what was it? it I, I, you can't say this in two minutes, but I'll ask you to do it anyway. Um, what was it like? So, what, were you, were you, did, were you, did you immediately sort of uh, um, embrace that that whole sports culture that your your family was, or what was that like? Well, um, I grew up playing sports. I mean, my my parents required that we play a sport every semester, every quarter, or whatever. So we we had to do something. And so I mostly played soccer, which I still mostly play. Uh, but okay, so hold on, hold on, hold on. So you still so all right? Tell us, you played high school soccer? Did you play in college? I did. Okay, where where did you play? So I, uh, I started out at um, Wheaton College, Wheaton, Illinois, not the Wheaton College here. Okay, um, and then I went to Northwestern. And okay, I played soccer at both places. Northwestern uh, Wildcats. Yep. All right. Uh, when in doubt, say Wildcats, and you're probably going to get it right. So, and that that's so cool. I never knew this about you. So this is this is cool. And so, did you play all four years? Uh, I I. Did um, I was out? You know, everybody's off and on with some injuries, but yeah, I played all four years. That's so cool. And you still play? I still play. I mean, I went on and indoor, I outdoor. I play both. I play oh my both. god, this yeah. is so cool! You don't play goalie, do you? I do. You do? I am oh a very, God. very short goalie, but I got started on it kind of early on because I was pretty fearless player. I mean, yeah. you know, and so I, I would just go right out into the crowd and fall on the ball, and so you know, even at a very young age, so it sort of I started to stop. I did that the whole time, and I, I still do that. That's so cool. And in fact, nobody from the podcast can see my hands, <laughs> but almost all of my fingers have been broken. Oh my goodness, she's ex- exaggerating. There, it isn't that bad. But hey, <laughs> but hey, I mean, you, you got to wear your scars proudly, right? So, um, uh, well, I, I can't believe I didn't know this about you. I, we're going to need a couple another hours. C- clear my schedule. <laughs> um, so. Um, and how did the team do during your four years there? I mean, uh, did- you know, I mean, uh, we we did reasonably well. I mean, it was not, you know, I mean, remember, I, I spent part of that time at Wheaton College, which is a smaller Division three school. Got it. So, okay. Um, and we actually did better there. The competition wasn't as fierce as it gets to be in Division One, but right. we did we did pretty well. But this also sort of set me up. I mean, you started asking me about, you know, what it was like to to meet my husband and immediately go into a sports family. Right, yeah, but right, I was already right. kind of a sports person. You were already a sports person. Okay. Um, so yeah. going into the basketball family was was kind of a natural thing for me. And I, and frankly, I think that that's one of the, the reasons why, you know, I mean, I've been married to my husband for almost 40 years. I think that's one of the reasons why it worked because basketball is a very large part of that family as a whole. So, and what team do you root for? And what teams does your husband root for now? Oh, we're we we're we're with. Well, I have to say, we we go back and forth a little bit between the Celtics. I mean, we're we're yep. Bostonians. You're Bostonians, now. Yeah. Um, but also Golden State because uh, we knew uh, Steve Kerr when he was a bull. Oh, okay, um, right, sure. And so, and he's a he's a wonderful and excellent guy. Have, um, have you heard his? Um, he's been unafraid to be uh, political last couple of years, right? I'm pretty right. sure. Yes, yeah, Steve Kerr. What do you yep. think about that? 
You know, I think he has a he has a voice. I mean, yeah. he's a bully pulpit. <laughs> bully Bull, pulpit, pulpit. No, sorry, bully pulpit. No pun intended. Um, yeah. And you know, I mean, I I actually appreciate the fact that 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 someone does that. I mean, I appreciated when LeBron did it. I mean, I think mm-hmm. they have the opportunity to say something. Yep. Um, and they take the opportunity. I have no problem with that. It was the one time that I was forced to like LeBron was when he took on the president. And we don't have to get super political here. This isn't necessarily a political show, but um, I just don't care for LeBron. I just don't like his whole act. Yes, he's great. I get it. But when he had that spar with the president, I was like, mm, good on you, LeBron. And and Steve Kerr and what Steve Kerr and, and Greg Popovich, uh, you know, outspoken coaches. It, why not? You got something to say. You know, you, you, like you say, they got the bully pulpit, they got the platform. Um, you know, people are either going to listen or they're going to think you're full of crap. But you've got the you've got the microphone there, and you know, it, it's not like people in sports haven't stood for something greater. I mean, you know the going all the way back to Muhammad Ali and probably before that too and Jim Brown and people that have you know used and and now you get a guy like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar who turns out to be who knew one of our great thinkers that annoying guy who used to annoy the Celtics in the in the 80s and I hated him but now he's um he's clearly a more textured guy than we ever thought um so you root for the Celtics um just answer me this, because you, you, you're a great person to ask, because, I mean, not only um, do you know a lot of people in basketball, but your father-in-law was, like, uh, apparently obsessed with the, the game of basketball, right, and the X's and O's and things like that. I think the game is broken. I think it's, it's painfully broken, and I think it's the, the, the three-point shot. It had a good run, you know, 40 years, however long it's been, or 30 years. Uh, no, probably more than 40 years. Um, and it, it's too much now. It's too much. Like it's, it's, it's either all the three pointers, it's a combination, too many three pointers. Um, it's the one, the, the James Harden phenomenon now is give the ball to the guy who's the best and let him drive and try to score, which used to be known as the fourth grade, but now it's the NBA. And then the third thing is they don't call traveling anymore. You can take, just take his, just get ahead and take it. You want to take three steps? Take four <laughs> steps. Take four steps. No problem. And it's, I just don't understand. You would think the dribbling would be kind of an important thing to do in basketball. Anyway, do, do, I mean, do you notice this at all? All right. Or? Well, first of all, I don't Go. really necessarily agree with you about the three-point shooting. All right. But I well. will tell you that we. Yeah, we, you love Steve Kerr because he was a three-point shooter. Yeah. yeah <laughs> my okay, my yeah. husband and I watch, uh, right. I'd say, you know, we watch a game or two a day. Pretty much. You do really. Um, and wow, okay. Well, you right know, because my husband, much like his father, is really a student of the game. He knows okay. a great deal about right. basketball, and every single day he talks about the traveling. And he, you know, he, he imitates right. it in the living room. Like right. we're we're watching it, and and he he is most. This upset. is your husband. Sorry, this is your husband. This is my husband. I, have to, talk, I have to talk. I have to talk this man. About Go ahead. The fact yep. that he did not play in this era. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. You don't have to. You don't have to dribble. I mean, um, there was one moment last year. I think it might have been. I think it was Russell Westbrook who took um, just nonchalantly uh, after his uh, the opposing team had scored, took an inbound pass and started dribbling the ball up court. Still in the back court, no one's guarding him. And. I think maybe took a dribble and then cradled the ball in his hands and took four steps forward. <laughs> now, they called that. They called it. He, he was clearly on another planet and forgot that dribbling was part of the game. 
but like this is where we're headed this is where we're headed like and um i just don't get it i mean there in in other sports in baseball for example there used to be the the so-called phantom tag where they the players would be going for a double play and if the shortstop um did not touch second base primarily for the purpose of saving his legs because there's a player sliding into him the umpire would still recognize that as an out it became known as the phantom and they've since gone back the other way and said no you got to touch the base um there have been there are things in sports that are sort of given up but you know if if um during a free throw if a guy enters the lane a little early they're probably not going to call that but dribbling dribbling is <laughs> we learned it's almost like it must be frustrating for coaches i used to coach youth sports and i've since retired because i was um driving people crazy but um you know, you teach the fundamentals, you teach dribbling, you teach the crossover dribble, you, you teach, you know, the footwork when you go, you know, you teach, you know, I used to say you got to pretend you're a marionette when you're going up for a layup. Your right leg goes up with your right arm as you lay the ball into the basket. Uh, uh, Kim, I'm, I'm, I don't know, I might be done. <laughs> but I, I think that, that the reason that this has happened, um, the three-point thing is a totally separate subject. We'll put it aside for a sec. But I think the reason it's happening with traveling is that, People, as in, you know, the, the crowd, right, Yeah, likes to see very dramatic movement. Right. And if you have to keep putting the ball on the ground all the time, you just don't have that kind of dramatic movement. Good so, point. You know, so I think that's why. And, and I'm not sure it will – I'm not sure it will go back. I mean, I think, I think that, that at this point now the NBA fans have gotten used to seeing that. I mean, that I, I suppose I've got to get used to it just like, you know – these kids today with their music like if you don't like it don't listen to it but i guess i've got i love basketball so i guess i gotta get used to it hi i'm nick i'm here to tell you about an affliction that affects millions of americans every year it's growing and there's no end in sight i'm talking of course about podcast envy hi i'm george i suffered from podcast envy sure i had a podcast but it wasn't the biggest deal it was just insignificant compared to other podcasts i felt so inadequate. Hi, I'm Buck. I felt myself consistently looking at other podcasts. They seem so massive. My friends and I were finally able to conquer podcast envy when I found the Boston Podcast Network. They gave us a new podcast, a mighty powerful one too. They even gave it a name, Shawshanked. We finally had a podcast, one we could hold up high and be proud of. We were now able to whip out our podcast and expose it publicly. Thousands of people received our podcast on the internet on pod 617. Some enjoy our podcast in bits and spurts. Many prefer to swallow it whole. Either way, don't wait any longer. Please act now. End your own podcast envy. Go to pod617.com and take hold of your own podcast. Find our podcast Shawshank. See if you can handle it. Don't be ashamed of your little podcast. Get a big one at pod617.com. You still have hope for the game. You still love the game. How about the Celtics this year? Um, Optimistic? I really like the way that Brad Stevens handles the teams generally. He's a really good coach. Uh, I think I think he has a good sense of his players, um, and that's that's always very good. Um, I also think that they seem to have gotten into a little slump lately, which is like mm. why I think that people are concerned about them. But most good teams have this happen. They have a lull 
you know, ebbs and they, flows. Yeah, yeah. they have, and 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 they often have a lull at this point in the season. Right. So I think that they're a very good team, yeah. and I think that they have a lot of parts that work well together. They have a lot of obviously a lot of very good individual players, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that assuming everyone stays healthy, and this is always the the biggest assumption that you make in any kind of professional sports, that they're going to go. I, I'd say them them looking pretty good well into the playoffs. Yeah, me too. Um, it goes to show how important ownership, management, and coaching is because, you know, in all of, all of our sports here in Boston with this great renaissance that we're enjoying now, the common thread is it was change of ownership. But I'm um, setting aside the Bruins for the moment. They did win one championship in 2013, whatever. But um, the, our other three teams have um, – had these these great changes of fate, ownership change, and you know the the Wickrosbeck team the team comes in for the Celtics, the Henry Group comes in for the Red Sox, and Kraft buys the Patriots all within a uh, we'd have to look that up, but I think within a five year span or something like that, and it's culture, it's coaching, and Danny Ainge is just master. I mean, who knew that punky kid who was. Um, picking fights with Tree Rollins, you know, back in the 80s could be this guy who's just an incredible combination of talent evaluation and patience and then and then just, you know, holding the, his cards until the last minute, right? Can but, I tell you a story about him? Oh, I would love okay. to hear it. Yeah, so, um, in, in uh, let's see, I mean, I, you're saying the 80s. I actually think that this was the early 90s, really. Um, so, when my father-in-law was coaching for the for L.A. Right. Um Actually, I think – no, no, I take that back is when he was coaching for the Bulls. Okay, so this is – he was he was coaching for the Bulls at this point. Uh, in the NBA Finals, it was the Bulls versus the Portland Trailblazers. And he was an assistant coach at the time? He, he was, Yeah. Yep. He – well, I guess. On the coaching staff. Yep. From, from, on the coaching staff. From his perspective, he always viewed himself as a consultant. Right. Um, you know, I don't think he ever thought of himself as an assistant. Anything. I mean, cause and was he, was Phil Jackson the head coach at the time? Phil Jackson yep. was the head coach at the time, and my okay. father-in-law thought of himself as the person that that kept Phil Jackson, you know, straight on the game. <laughs> That's what he always said. But but Danny. See, was, you're getting the story behind the story here. I love this. Yeah. Danny was uh, was playing for Portland at at that time, and we were actually mm-hmm. in Portland, um, and the uh, the the uh, the series was over, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I saw Danny Ainge, you know, immediately after because we all the whole families go down and crowd the floor, and of course you always wonder, that, you know, the visiting team sort of, I mean, or the in that case the, the losing team, the team that didn't win, sort of right. slinks out, you know. I right. Mean, it's, it's a difficult moment for. So this everybody. was this was um, one of the teams that the Michael Jordan Bulls had just uh dispatched in the exactly okay, exactly yeah. exactly and i saw danny Ainge walking by and he's sort of looking you know i mean looking with his tail between his legs and yeah. i well, i just thought you know i'm going to talk to him because this is a hard time for these guys and i yeah. walked up to him and i said you know that was a it was a really great game and he said you know he said he said it was did and you he, know who you were Yes. Well, I introduced okay. myself. Oh, you did? Okay. I, I said it. that I was t- Tex Winter's daughter-in-law, and I just, you know, I said I just wanted to, to tell you. I mean, it was a, it was a great game. This was a, you know, it was a great series. I mean, these are always, you know, these are very hard-fought things. I mean, getting in the NBA Finals is itself an accomplishment. And he just said, he goes, you know, these these are great games. He said, this is a great game. Mm-hmm. And so I knew right then that, mm-hmm. I mean, he has a love of the game. 
Right. You know, and that's why he's such a good manager because he he loves the game for what it is. Yeah. You know, so he's willing to, when you say he has patience, he does have patience, but he's not just patience with the poker playing of the trading and stuff. I mean, he has patience with his players, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, he, you know, because he can see people develop. That's right. You know, and different so that players is peak what, at different times. Right? And, you know, yeah. and that is what makes, as far as I can see, it makes a great manager is if you can, if you can see your way through several years. Mm-hmm. You know, and have patience with players, have patience with coaches, have patience with the system. But over underlying all of that, you have to have a love of the game. And yeah. I knew right that. I mean, because despite the fact that his team had just lost in the NBA Finals, yeah. he was still able to say, I love this game. That takes a lot of integrity. Yeah. That reminds me of, you know, Magic against the Celtics in 84 when he was just a such a hard-fought, sometimes bitter series. And at the end, he said... Of course, I'm disappointed, but it is a privilege to play in such a great game. And, and you know, I mean, history has proven that that was such a memorable series, Bird against Magic. And, you know, Magic had his day after that. But but um, you appreciate that because especially in this, in this era where, um, don't get me started on the whole AAU culture and what that has done for basketball and the fact that the player, the inmates are running the asylum. <laughs> but anyway, there is still that love for the game, which is cool. By the way, so so Danny played for poor. I had for, I had stricken um, Ainge on Portland from my memory. I think, I don't know why. So it but, was one of those years in ninety one, right. ninety two. One right. of those years that two, this happened. Two seasons for Portland. Yep. Prior to that, see, I remember him on Phoenix. I don't remember him on Sacramento. That's weird. Okay, he played two seasons for Sacramento and two seasons for Portland. Three but it was, it was in that because those yep. years are the years that the Bulls, you know, sure. that was that run of the NBA championship, the three peat years. It was Absolutely. those years right there, 90, 91, 92, 93. Wow. Um, so that's cool. You had a good encounter with him. Can you, um, are there others that you've met in the game that either that surprised you as being particularly thoughtful or really cool people that you've met over the years? Actually, you know, I, I would say that, that, We've had really good experiences with the players generally. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things is that my young daughter, who's now 19, but during much of these years was a little, little kid. You know, she's running around practice when she's a little, little kid. Is this your daughter, the swimmer? My daughter, the swimmer, yes. She's 19 and goes to University of San Francisco. So uh, cool. Where Bill Russell also went. But, uh, But she... You know, used to run around practice. She used to run around the players. She'd be in the outer, the outer locker room versus the inner locker room. But, mm-hmm. and one of the the sort of marks I always make is, you know, h- how these guys treat kids. Um, yeah. And I would say to a person, you know, these the, the players were wonderful to her. I mean, she has a That's lot refreshing. of really, you know, fun memories of of getting, you know, sort of piggyback rides on Kobe Bryant. <laughs> oh, come on. That's good. I mean, you know, just just cuz they were they you know, they're 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 great human beings and one of the things I think that they appreciated is you know, I learned very early on not to treat them like celebrities because my father-in-law never did. Oh, um, interesting. In yeah. fact, one of the the um uh, stories that John Paxton told, John, who's the general manager of the Bulls, mm-hmm. now, yeah. Oh, yeah. told about my father-in-law was that when uh, he and Michael were on some of the same teams, mm-hmm. and uh, he said that that 
you know, he remembers one game where uh, my father-in-law said to Phil, you know, he said, you know, take Michael out, put John in. He goes, who the hell would ever say that? <laughs> but, you know. My, this was Jordan uh, when he was Jordan. It yeah, wasn't, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is Jordan during those years we're talking about, 91, 92, 93, yeah. when they won the NBA championship. Yeah. But, Paxton was a starter alongside Jordan, I yep, think, a couple of those yep, years. Yeah, yep, yeah. But my father-in-law very much viewed these guys just as people. Yeah. You know, when we got to know their families. And, and so sort of very early on, I thought of them as people rather right. than than just as players. And, and I think that, that they appreciated that too because, you know, they, they get so many people that, that think of them, them as being very one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and there's a lot more to them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and, and do, do, uh, as much as it may seem counterintuitive, I don't think they necessarily want to be treated as celebrities or at the very least they must get sick of it, you know? Well, I can tell you, you know, so when the Bulls used to come to Boston, well, they still come to Boston, but um, during the day when we were around them all the time, they always stayed at the Four Seasons. Mm -hmm. um, And there would be all these people crowded around the Four Seasons. And I remember one time crowding into an elevator with Michael Jordan. And, you know, we were going to have Phil and Michael and a few other people were going to have dinner together. Um, And we actually had originally thought we would go out. And Michael said, you know, I can't go out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah, no, he. At that I time, can't go sure. out. You know, we're gonna it's have like the Beatles, to. Yeah. We're gonna have to yeah. order in, and and I, I saw like very real dismay on his face about that. Yeah, it's I too bad. Have gone out. Right, right, and and you know, anyone who catches a moment with him is probably just gonna scream something like "I love you, Michael," and try to hug him or some <laughs> such thing. When really, he he might like to have a conversation. You know, he might like to talk. So, like, my goal. Whenever I meet a celebrity, you know I'm a wise ass Kim. So, I, but but um, my goal is always to say something that'll get them to like break expression or laugh or something, something that isn't what the typical mm-hmm. fan is gonna say to them. So I'll give you one quick uh, story where it worked and one where it, it didn't. Um, so I met uh, Tom Cruise at um, it was Earl Cooley's um, memorial service. So the uh, Cooley Manion Jones Law Firm had this more or less upbeat memorial service after Earl, Earl Cooley passed away and <clears throat> at the federal courthouse. So it was a nice affair. It might have even been black tie. Someone told me Tom Cruise was at the event, and I thought they were playing a practical joke on me. But they said, Dave, Earl Cooley was the champion for the Church of Scientology. You remember they won the watershed case. Who's the biggest actor Scientologist? Who's in Boston shooting a movie? And sure enough, there across the room is Tom Cruise. And I say, I have to say hi to Tom Cruise or I'll regret it for the rest of my life. So I go over and I was trying to think of something to say. And I said, at very least, maybe I'll make him laugh. And I said, uh, Mr. Cruise, nice to meet you. Um, I have a problem. Your movie there, Risky Business, um, I've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times and I can't stop. What should I do? And to his credit, he was so cool about it. He got that big, like, shit-eating grin on his face, and he said, just keep going, man. Just keep going. (laughs) (laughs) And so then I said, now I figure I'm on a roll. So I said, you know, that movie, Risky Business, was great. Are you ever going to make another movie, or what are you going to do? So that was, like, his second movie, and he got the joke. He was laughing. And so super nice guy. I'm maybe heavily medicated. I mean, who knows? So that was like a good uh, interchange. The one that didn't work was when I got to meet Steven Tyler, you know, of Aerosmith, oh. one of my heroes. And I thought, what can I say to him? I, I, I had a kind of a meager backstage pass, which allowed you to sort of get his autograph and walk by. And I got to tell him 
something. I get up there and I froze up and I go, Steven, you're the balls, man. And he goes, <laughs> <laughs> he goes, thank you, man. And I moved along. Like I was hoping he was going to say, all my years in rock and roll, no one ever told me I'm the balls before. <laughs> the- <laughs> so it doesn't always work. But um, but that's cool. You got to walk among that. Cra- I mean, that to, to um, you know, be a fly on the wall to, to some degree, some of those bowl teams must, must have been exciting. Um, you know, the comparisons now to where do, you, where do you stand? Kim Winter, I'll put you on the spot. Who's the greatest? Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, the greatest champion of all time? I think there's no way of really comparing, you know, mm, different out. people in different sports <laughs> like that. I mean, yeah. I, I think that, that what you – here's the way I would compare them, though. Um, Tom Brady takes a much greater beating, I think, than anybody ever realizes every week. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and I have to say that basketball players do that too, and I think most people don't realize that. But my husband actually played. I mean, he played in Division One, and, and he, after he got finished with that— Where did he, he play him? Uh, University of Texas. Texas. Um, Go hook them horns. Know, UTA, yeah. yeah. Sure. Hook horns, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, after he, you know, got done with that, I mean, he's he still played in, you know, I'd say sort of semi-pro kind of league. I mean, mm-hmm. at a pretty high level as an amateur. Sure. Uh, and he would come home from those games, and he's like scratched to, you know, and, you know, and Bumps bruised. And, bruises. and, and you yeah. know, and so I think that the the one thing I appreciate about both of them is the kind of beating that they can take yeah. and still be a champion. And yeah. And then you have one off game and, and maybe you don't give, you know, 110% effort on a given play and you've got dozens of fans screaming at you <laughs> and you've just played, you know, five games in seven days, including travel and everything else. I think you're right. I, I think, uh, you know, the if, if there are wimps in the sports world, uh, I guess we got to cast our eyes towards baseball because um, – because it, football, you know, it, it is is so brutal, um, and I don't know how those guys get out of bed sometimes on a Monday morning. But bas- basketball, not not quite the the impact of football, but eighty games, you know, eighty games with well, travel. With travel, eighty games is yeah, only. I mean, it, it, it's it, yeah. and that's only the regular season, uh, right? If yeah. you're going to go all the way through the whole thing. You play almost 120, I think, yeah. you know, and that is, you know, it's, it's a tremendous amount of games. And like I said, I mean, the physical toll it takes on them. Yeah. And the other thing I will have to say about both of them, because I'm actually re- uh, listening to a book in the car uh, now about the NFL that heavily features Brady. Is it good? It's actually great, and you're going to ask me the name of it, and I'm not going to be able to remember. We'll look I'll it up. I'll give it to you later. But <laughs> okay. It's, a, it's yeah. an excellent book written yeah. by a guy who's generally speaking a political reporter. Okay. Um, but, you know, the other thing about them I think that, that Jordan and Brady have in common is the obsession with it. Yes. Um, Almost to a fault sometimes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, Brady will, you know, comes out – you know, pretty consistently, and says that that this is the most important thing in his. I mean, this is this is what he yeah, in front all of his of wife his and kids. Focus is on. <laughs> yeah. All of it, yeah, and yeah, really. Jordan was much like that. I mean, I remember watching him watch literally just hundreds of hours of film, 
And not all players do that. And and I and I think that that's one thing that if I were to say, you know, what what can I tell you as a player you should do? That's what you should do. Right. You know, I mean, they watch film differently now. It used to be film, film. Now it's you know, I mean, actual film. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, now they can watch on their laptops. Yeah. Right. But yeah. you know, watching over and over, not only the way you do things, but how other people do things. I mean, that that's how you that's how you really create, you know, a better game. Uh, it, you know, and, there's a yeah. And there's a life lesson in there, maybe. It's, it's, it's um, you know, it's the old, you know, do what you enjoy doing. And, of course, that's never perfect advice because, you know, I can't go be the lead singer of Aerosmith because I can't <laughs> sing like Steven Tyler, uh, dating myself with that reference. But, but, um, but you can find something that, that you love, that you're willing to put in that passion because clearly Jordan, Brady share that they just love it so much. And, uh, you know, I believe in him when they asked him this season, any chance this is your last run? He said, zero <laughs> percent. And, and, you know, he must get bothered. People keep asking him, how long are you going to play? You're getting older. It's like, and he said, I'll quit when I suck. And he doesn't suck. And yet yeah, he's the, he, he, Jordan, and I think of a guy like Kobe, actually, he always had that look in his eye, like he couldn't stand the thought of losing. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean they're the greatest guy or the guy you necessarily want to have a beer with, but it's the guy you don't want to play in ping pong because they will destroy <laughs> you. <laughs> like, in it, I have a feeling, right? In anything, right? Yep. Um, but um, I think you're actually, even though I made fun of you, I think I, you're actually right at the end of the day. It's so hard to compare Jordan versus Brady. And um, much as I love TB12, it is kind of a hard argument to make given that not only did Jordan – dominate a sport and win. Um, I mean, if you throw out his seasons off and his partial seasons, he essentially won the title six years in a row, right? That was the one year he came back. He didn't mm -hmm. win it. But uh, if you throw that out, it's essentially not only that, but I don't remember any of those finals being particularly perilously close. A couple of them were at least competitive, right? but you can see why he went to baseball. He was bored, right? Don't you think? Well, I think that that actually was a much more complicated thing than that because it's if, true. If it was a secret ban for his, the gambling, right? Was that it, Kim? That that was a you know Rumor. in that whole space of time was he lost his father, um, okay, and true. you know we had known Mr. and Mrs. Jordan, and is that right? Know, I mean they they came to almost every game. They were, and you know he. I mean this is they were a wonderful family to whom Michael was very very close. Yeah. Uh, and I think that if, if you remember, I mean, he lost his father like in a... He was murdered, a, yeah. He was, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Was, he was murdered. Um, and I, when that happened, I think that Michael just looked a lot at his life and said, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I love basketball, but I don't know if I have the life I want, you know, yeah. or, mm -hmm. or can even have. You know, I mean, mm. I felt for a while, I, I think he felt for a while like he just really couldn't play. Mm. Um, you know, because his, his parents were just such a, a force in his life. Um, mm. And, and in, in fact, in the life of the team. I mean, I, my, my husband and I were actually, we were in Alaska when that happened. Um, and it was a huge shock. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think, I think that that, you know, his going to, to baseball actually had you know, some to do with just him saying, you know, I need to step back and think about, you know, think about things yeah. a little bit differently. Yeah. Also, I thought he, I think he thought that he would be able to, you know, 
I'm, I'm positive he thought he could do really well yeah. and underestimated how difficult it yeah. was. <laughs> I think most people did. Yeah. I gained new appreciation for, for baseball players. And it's just it's just there's something weird about the fact that a physical freak like Michael Jordan can't now he, I don't think he embarrassed himself, but he didn't make the major leagues. And then someone like uh Deion Sanders uh, is is you know excelled in two sports uh, almost effortless, effortlessly, um, so it, it's it just shows you its unique skills and I guess it, it, the skills right. don't always translate from one sport to another. But um, so um, and the so and just to finish the thought that that he came back and won a championship or to dedicated to his dad. I, of course, who can remember which of the six? Was it the when he came back from after baseball yeah. and won that for his dad? I I, even I can't. Yeah, it's, know. it's you know. The chronology eludes me a little bit. <laughs> right. But to this day, as far as we know, that was, that murder was a random act, right? Right. Just, yeah, yeah. Just a bizarre. I mean, random act in the sense that, that someone went after a, you know, black man with, you know, I mean, I mean, he had a very nice car. He had an, I mean, yeah. I think, okay. I think he was clearly chosen because he appeared to have something that somebody might want. Right. So it wasn't random in that sense. I mean, it was, I think, pretty clearly a robbery, murder, you know, kind of thing. But, it, but you know, as far as anybody knows, it was a stranger. Hi, everybody. I'm Chami DePerel. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Boston Podcast Network. How would you like your own podcast? The Boston Podcast Network can produce one for you. Whether you're a lawyer, financial advisor, business owner, or really any kind of professional, you should have your voice heard through this exciting new medium. A good podcast is more powerful than traditional advertising. If a prospective client hears your podcast through their earbuds, you're already in their head. Literally, pod617.com will help you deliver a message and build relationships clients and centers of influence will delight in being a guest on your show go to pod617.com to start planning and in the meantime listen to the great shows they've already produced the irreverent bitchless bride podcast the hilarious show known as shawshanked and the wild trip through the paranormal that is Monsterland. be part of the pod revolution visit pod617.com in pod we trust i'll ask you one more sports question, and then I swear I want to talk about your professional <laughs> world too because that was the original plan, but this has been so much fun. Um, so if you could attend one sporting event, um, and and I assume you've you've attended NBA Finals and, and I assume you've attended some, some other cool stuff, but just in a vacuum, which would be the one that you would love to go to? I'm talking, you know, uh, Final Four, Super Bowl, NBA Finals, World Series, whatnot. Okay, so I actually I have, I have two questions. To. There's that there's that there's that one, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you. You know what? Forget that question. Scrap that question. <laughs> Delete that question, Dave. Here's a better one. Okay, um, yeah. What what was the most memorable sporting event you've ever attended? And you, you're allowed to name more than one if you would like. Wow. I mean, the problem is, it's like everybody asking about your favorite movie. You can only remember the movies from the like the last year. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. So, right. Um, but old, uh, yeah. I think that that actually um, one of the most memorable sporting events I ever went to was this year. Um, you know, I, I attended a lot of baseball games this year. Okay, uh, and. 
Um, one of the games was a, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to put in an exact time of this. I think it was sometime in August. It was a, a Yankees game. Uh, and the energy of the situation, I mean, the, the energy yeah. of Fenway Park, the energy of the people around us, the energy, I, I, I just felt like, you know, we are all, we're, we're doing one thing and we're doing something we all love. Yeah. Uh, and and it was it was it was sort of a you know a really magic moment for me and and yeah. I felt like this year for whatever reason you know they, well obviously it did come together they won the World Series but there was something also about the team and the fans this year I couldn't I get agree. enough of it I yeah. mean I went. We we used to go to maybe four or five games a year, and this year, I mean, I don't know how many games I went to because I could barely drag myself away from it. I That's mean, I, great. There was yeah. just something so compelling about the way things were happening. The other thing yeah. is that you know, I mean, by and large, I mean, you went and we won. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is always nice. Yeah, but I'm with you. This this might be um, my second favorite. Sox team, which and it's weird because it's super weird because the 2004 team that broke the curse doesn't even make my top three because um, I have such mem- mem- fond memories of 2013, which was uh, the John Farrell team that won. But the reason why is because it was my son was at an age where he first could appreciate it, and I took him to a playoff game in, at each one of the um, uh, series. And so the world's to work backwards, the World Series game, we saw the one World Series game they lost at Fenway, but we were sitting next to David Ortiz's father, Papa Ortiz, uh, not Papi Ortiz. Anyway, but we sat next to him. He didn't speak English, and he had someone next to him, must have been a relative, sort of translating. And we were able to say hi through this, like, you know, brief translation and tell him how much we love his son. And... um, and Big Poppy hit a home run in that game, and I was able to high five uh, Big Poppy's dad immediately after that home run. I'll never forget it. It was unbelievable. And then, sure enough, Pop- Poppy comes up in like the eighth inning with two men on, and he's like the tying run at the plate, or maybe the go ahead run at the plate. And um, I turned to his dad and I said, Uno mas, uno mas. And, <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, Uno mas, uno mas. And, uh, Big Poppy hit a single, which is, of course, not a failure, but it, it didn't. We ended up losing the game. Anyway, but but um, also took uh, one of those games was the game where Victorino hit the grand slam and the ridiculous grand slam against the Tigers pitcher, whoever he was. And um, I lifted up my son, and we were so excited. And he calls it the hot chocolate game because I lifted up in the air and was basically throwing him around. And his foot came down and crushed his the hot chocolate he was drinking, and he thought that was so funny because it, because it's like, Dad, we celebrated so much, we killed the hot chocolate. Anyway, so um, so you you love your socks, so not, no memories of World Series or NBA Finals or anything uh, uh, like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I have a I, I have a lot of memories of NBA Finals, but you know, to some extent, I will say part of what you're saying is right. In all of those cases, there was the sort of the expectation of winning. Um, it was likely to be winning. The other thing is that I think in some ways I was too close to this. Right. It's like, like they say about having, you know, watching the sausage be made. Yeah. I mean, I was very close to what was happening. It's I not your typical fan the, experience. The right. palace intrigue. Right. You know, and, and I think that being part of the, the larger Red Sox Nation. Yeah, was a that was that was a very different experience. For That's me. cool. 
and that's that's you know what being a fan is all about. This team was so likable and, and, and unexpectedly great. Even when you know we have to remind ourselves, even though they they ripped off the best regular season in Red Sox history, they still were underdogs going into the playoffs. People thought, hmm, you know, they're a paper tiger. I love Cora. I love the manager. Yeah, well, I was actually just going to say that, that um, one of my favorite moments, actually, and this is not a moment that I watched live because it happened at the end. Of, I mean, I, I, I was watching it live at home, but I wasn't there for it when they won the World Series. Right. And he held up that trophy and said, you know, can I take it to Puerto Rico? Yeah, isn't that great? And this is still like bringing tears to my eyes. Yeah. You know, just because I, I thought, yes, I mean, there's somebody who's managing now. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was a player, but he, you know, he has he has a heart for not only the game, but the things that come before. You know, all there, there's so much that comes before the game. You know, so many players coming up in those, you know, Caribbean yeah. nations, and and or he, you know, he. I mean, obviously Puerto Rico's a Caribbean, separate Caribbean nation, but he understands this. And I loved also, you know, when I would because a, a few times we were lucky enough to get seats that were very close. To mm-hmm, him, mm-hmm. and he spoke to many of the players in Spanish. Sure. Um, and I just thought, you know, this this is this is what this game is. This is a, what this game should be about. Yeah, it doesn't have to just be about the game. And, and and almost every great moment in sports, it's usually about something other than the game, which um, tends to make sense. Not to get too crazy philosophical here, but. Why should we care whether, um, you know, our team puts more balls into a basket than the other team? And so, but, but it's, it, it's always, it's more about the journey. You know, I used to tell when I coached uh, youth basketball, um, I remember we, uh, twice I think I lost in the championship game and told them, guys, just remember this, it's, 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 um, it's easier to win. And I think you guys had such a great season. And I think at the end of the day, you're going to remember the moments. You don't necessarily remember the the final score. Losing's harder, and and let's see how you can lose and be classy and all that. And so you pull other lessons from it. But for for Cora to think about Puerto Rico and how many of his countrymen and countrywomen must have been watching that game and rooting for him, and how many people have been through hell with the you know with the hurricane and and all that. Um, just amazing, and in in like manner, in it's what it's one of the reasons I remember 2013. I was working as a financial advisor at the time, and happened to have three or four clients who had come into some money for a reason that they didn't want at all, and that was they were victims in the sorry survivors of the marathon bombing mm-hmm. that very year. And so that you know, it's the open of this podcast. Big Poppy, you know, getting on the microphone and notably, you know, dropping that famous f bomb, which um, um, just prior to the city, you don't mess with our city like this. And um, yeah, and you know, the parade they stopped at the marathon finish line, put the trophy down. And so um, all good. Now you got me a little teary eyed, kid. <laughs> all right. Well, we're kind of we're kind of up against the clock here, but let's at least let people know. What you do professionally? I know you're a, you're a trial lawyer. You're also a health lawyer. You're not. In addition to being a, a lawyer, you were trained as a nurse, which gives you particular insight when it comes to health law and personal injury law and things like that. How am I doing so far? Good. Okay. <laughs> so if people, well, tell us tell us about your. Give us a few minutes on on what you do and and why you enjoy it, and tell us the name of your firm and all that. Okay, so name of the firm, I just recently moved, actually, to McLaughlin, Richards, Biller, Schindel, and Winter, um, which is in South Natick, and 
right literally on the banks of the Charles River. I have a big window that looks out on the Charles Ooh. River. I mean, I could I could jump in if I wanted to. Fancy. Um, mm. So it's a it's a lovely office, lovely location, very nice colleagues. Uh, and what I do is is I call it health law. But uh, I also realize that health healthcare law more specifically, but that's a lot of different things. For me, it means a combination of medical malpractice, mostly from the patient side, although I do have some providers, uh, and licensing. I do a lot of if somebody's in trouble with their professional license, I right. try to help them out with that. And I also do some. If a doctor, if a doctor is accused of yep. misconduct, you yep. will you will defend them. Yep. Okay. And yep. I and I have I because I'm a nurse, as you pointed out, I have a lot of nurse clients, um, but I've had. Mm-hmm. Just about everything. I've had veterinarians. I've had dentists. Um, all kinds of. And so I, I, I think of myself as working sort of both sides of the aisle because of that. Because sure. I have both provider and patient clients. Sure. Degree in nursing. Uh, JD is your law degree, yep. and you seem to have a, a, a PhD in basketball analysis too. <laughs> I might say they don't make those though. Um, and uh, tell people how they can get in touch with you. Go to the website or. Okay, yep. Um, it's So we use the sort of brand name South Natick Law, so it's www.southnaticklaw.com. Mm. Uh, and there's a profile of everyone in the firm there, my colleagues. Um, I'm sort of in my own practice area, but my colleagues do a number of different things. Um, but they're cool. all all great people, terrific place. Uh, and I, I especially like to help people that feel like you know, the system in some way, either as a patient or as a provider, um, has sort of done them wrong. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we're going to have to have you back on a future episode to tell stories about your clients. I know you have a lot of great that, but a lot of great stories in that regard. But um, when we get off on Boston sports, we'll have to remind ourselves to, to, next time to stay <laughs> on a little bit more of a schedule. But that's what a podcast is. And I hope you enjoyed it. Did you enjoy it? It was a lot of fun. All right. Excellent. We will have you back. Kim Winter, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and uh, one more time, the the website. www.southnaticlaw.com. Southnaticlaw.com. Wise of you to grab that URL. Very shrewd. Um, thanks for joining us on the Boston Podcast. I'm David Yaz. You can always reach me at david at pod617.com. But really, just go to our website. Easy for me to say. Go to our website, pod617.com. You should have your own podcast, don't you think? Have your voice heard through this exciting new medium. Be part of the pod revolution. In pod we trust. Hope you enjoyed it. Check back for our next episode very soon. Enjoy your day, Boston. Boston.